listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. All right, we're diving into a brand new series today called TikTok Taught Me. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you right now that I know that there are sometimes people who are so heavenly minded, they're like, don't you talk about TikTok at the church house, son, like... But I want you to know there's some things that we can learn in this series that are really going to make a difference in our lives. And, and that's what this series is about. It's, it's about where we take popular ideologies that we see on TikTok and we use them to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, we might advocate some of these ideologies. We might not advocate some of these ideologies. But the point is to take what so many people are consuming through TikTok and use it to develop our faith and relationship with God. This is not some gimmicky message series. We're going to learn some stuff, and we're going to allow both some good TikToks and some of the secular prophets on TikToks to help us um, understand uh, 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 who God is and how we can get better. Um, TikTok is an interesting phenomenon. 2.7 billion downloads. 1 billion active daily users. Uh, To give you some some context, Facebook, I believe, has about 2.7 billion active users but they've also been around since 2005. So TikTok has gotten to a billion in like two years. It's insanity. Many governments have tried to close TikTok down over threats of Chinese spying since the app originated in in China. But I want you to do this. Hold your phone up. You got a phone? Hold it up. They know what you're doing already, y'all. Think that, oh, we don't listen to you. Man, shut up, man. They listen to everything. NSA, leave us alone, okay? Like, leave us alone. They're listening to everything. They know where you are. Um, I mean, my goodness, I saw a TikTok this week about a phone company that's made a new phone that you can actually turn off completely because even if you turn your phone off or turn off location services, your phone is still pinging towers and letting people know where you are. So any idea of privacy in today's world, forget about it, guys. Like, hey, hold my pen. No, they know your pen, bro. Like, everybody knows your pen. Um, they already know everything about you. But you can learn so much on TikTok. Maybe you've seen this guy. He's the guy that says, what? No way. That guy, like, stop right there. But um, he, uh, he does a lot of TikToks that are about, like, tools and stuff like that. Super interesting. I've learned a lot. Just, well, what? Like, every time I hear, what? No way. I'm like, ooh, I'm going to learn a tool trick. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then there's that guy that he's called that 40-year guy. And he's like, you mean to tell me that I've been alive for 40 years and I didn't know? I saw one just yesterday where he couldn't find the top to his blender and he put saran wrap over it and it worked. I was like, you mean to tell me I'm 43 years old and I just found out? He got me. There are also so many current events that are going on on TikTok. Stuff that the news won't report. Riots in France. I think maybe this is why the real reason the government wants TikTok restricted. We're actually seeing the corruption that's going on in our world in real time. But people are always learning things on TikTok all the time. I think I've learned more stuff that I can use in my life right now from TikTok in the last two years than I did in all my high school time. Like, I haven't used algebra. Listen, teenagers, I haven't used algebra one time since I graduated high school, okay? And if you're a math teacher, I love you. I mean, I know you got to teach it. But not one time. I've, I've never been walking around going, like, I don't know what A is. I can't find A. Like, <laughs> it's never happened. <laughs> Software C. Z ain't a number. 
Z is supposed to be an English class. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Math people trying to put A's and Z's. In, okay, so I haven't used any of that stuff. But remember, one, one billion active users, 83% of which have posted a video to TikTok. What does that mean? 830 million videos at the minimum have gone up on TikTok. That's over 1 billion people there to, to consume those 830 million TikToks. And maybe you're not on TikTok, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But listen to me. Facebook has just become the TikTok sharing platform now, okay? So that's all that you see on Facebook anymore is people griping about how come the train is still there and TikTok hadn't fixed that and TikTok videos. <laughs> Currently, there are 80 million monthly active users in the United States alone. 350 million Americans in the U.S., 80 million active users. Gen Z, that's people born between 1997 and between 2021. And that's a 74 million uh, strong um, group of people, Gen Z. This generation makes up for 60% of American users of TikTok. That's 48 million people between the ages of 10 and 23 using TikTok. It's wild. The average user of any age opens TikTok on average eight times a day, eight times a day, and spends 95 minutes on it. Now, imagine this. If they open TikTok eight times a day and they spend an average of 95 minutes on TikTok, here's what that means. If you multiply 90 times 1 billion, that means 95 billion minutes are spent on TikTok. That's 1.5 billion hours. That's 6.6 .6 million days. That's 180,746 years. That's what time people spend on TikTok every single day. It's amazing. With all the people spending that much time on TikTok, that means TikTok is teaching and people are learning. Now, TikTok is appealing for a few different reasons, though. Um, first, you can laugh, cry, learn something, be moved to action, get angry, scoff, and then laugh again, and that's just seven swipes of your thumb in about two minutes. And I'm telling you, there's some funny stuff on TikTok, y'all. Like, I'm talking like hurting, like this area right here hurting. you laughing so hard at yield TikTok. But second, you get info in real time, and that info is raw and not necessarily shaped by narratives. So if you watch the news, like I called my grandpa one day. We were just talking. He's like, all oh, them people on the news, they're saying this, that, and the other. I said, people, listen, man, they're going to tell you what they want to tell you. I said, which one are you watching? He goes, uh, I think he said CNN. I said, well, <laughs> but I said, Peepaw Fox is just as bad. Well, where do you get your news? TikTok, what? <laughs> TikTok, what's it? TikTok, your clock, you get it from your clock. Third is it's instant. And because it's instant, it feeds instant gratification. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something and you rush to TikTok and you look and you type it in and you get instant feedback on whether it's true or not? It's like that, okay? But fourth, you get to see authenticity. You get to see creativity. You get to see kindness and meanness and humor. And yeah, there's some vulgarity on it. It's good, bad, and ugly. It's all there, but it's all straight from the source and authentic. This is one of the things I love about our church so much. It's one of the few churches I've ever been to where people are really authentic. Like, you're going to get the real deal. Like, if I'm struggling, I'm going to tell you I'm struggling. I'm not going to be like, oh, well, let me put on my little mask because I'm the pastor and I've got to make it look like I've got everything perfect. I struggle too, y'all. I got problems. 
Okay, everybody has problems, everybody has issues, but we should all be working together to get closer to Jesus every single day. And I love that we can be authentic in our church and do that. That's what people love about TikTok, too, though, is it seems that it's authentic and real and people crave authenticity in so many ways. And you get these real reactions and real thoughts and real events. But of course, there's also some charlatans. There's some fakes on there. And for some reason, teens doing ridiculous dances at Walmart. But by the way, if you get TikTok, give it about a month and keep saying, no, not interested, not interested, and you'll get a good algorithm for you. (laughs) As soon as I see this, swipe. Now, you might think today is an advertisement for TikTok. (laughs) It's not. Okay, it's not. I want you to understand TikTok's grip on humanity, be that good or bad, and to help you understand that whether you like it or not, things like TikTok are shaping what people think and what they believe. It's the truth. You can see a powerful message in one video and swipe and see a powerful message that counteracts the message that you just saw. You can watch a video about somebody going into space and the next one you get a flat earth or talking about, I don't know how they got past the ice wall. I mean, it's amazing. All the stuff that you can get to. It's amazing. Right? That's why we're doing this series. Okay? It isn't to make TikTok look good or bad but rather to take what people are learning on TikTok and help us understand how it fits in the narrative of our faith in Jesus and how we can learn to be better followers of Jesus Christ. Today's TikTok taught me is all about faith, the gospel, and heaven. Faith, the gospel, heaven, it's all blurred in today's culture. Um, And I know we don't necessarily experience that so much in the Bible Belt, but my family, we travel to Bethesda, Maryland once a month with treatment with Viv, And I'm going to tell you right now, you get on that airplane, baby, you ain't in Kansas anymore. You know what I'm talking about? You get up there and the culture, the blurred lines, it's it's insanity. Um, But it's not just up north, north of the Mason-Dixon. It's everywhere. What people think about the gospel, about heaven, about Jesus, about faith, it's blurred. For instance, let's watch this TikTok. A religion where atheists are welcome and we don't try to change you. That's Unitarian Universalism. Unitarian Universalism is a deliberately pluralist, non-credal faith. What that means is that shared belief is not part of our religion. We understand that everyone has different beliefs. Um, There are some people who do believe in God, um, many people who don't, and we understand that we're all on our own individual spiritual journeys. And so on a Sunday morning, you may be seated next to someone who is atheist, or they may be pagan, their spiritual journey may include Hinduism or Buddhism um, or Judaism, Christianity, all of the above or none of the above. Because of those shared values, Unitarian Universalism is unambiguously and unapologetically progressive. We affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of all people, as our first principle says. And so what that means is we are going to be involved um, in supporting the LGBTQIA plus community, Black Lives Matter, reproductive justice, voting rights, etc., etc. 
people come to a Unitarian Universalist church for different reasons. Um, I would say number one is community. Most people are seeking that kind of community, people with similar values to their own. Um, but you definitely, you have some people who are very interested in exploring spirituality um, or philosophy, and we have classes around that. You have people who really want to do social justice with other people, and that definitely happens in UU congregations or people who want to do community service. People who want a, a village to help them raise their child with ethical principles without telling that child what to believe. Obviously, it is not a religion for everyone, and that's absolutely okay. But for those of us for whom it is home, uh, we often find it life-changing, um, and it makes our lives better. Blurred. Okay. I mean, uh, this is not my notes, but there is one phrase she says that when we were at first service, when I listened to it again, I've listened to this video like 10 times now because of getting this message together. But there's one thing she said that hit me harder, that it's the worst thing she said. It's where she said that we, um, that we affirm people. And she implies that if you don't allow people to live in whatever sin they want to live in, it means that you're not affirming them. I'm going to tell you what, that's a lie from the devil. I don't care what your lifestyle is, what sin you're struggling with. I don't care what issue you have. I affirm you as a person 100%. You are somebody that God died to save. And you know something? I would love you whatever you were doing. Now, I want you to do what God wants you to do. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm never going to get you to a place where you're serving God with your doing if I treat your being like trash. And so the church has got to stop treating people that are doing sins that we find yucky as if that they are a yucky person. God died for them too. And so we got to break this mentality that we're better than somebody else because we're not doing that sin. You're doing a sin that Jesus condemned just like he condemned all the rest of the sins. I'm not advocating sin. I'm not saying it's okay to sin. We don't say yes to Jesus and then go our merry own way doing whatever we want to do. We should be giving our lives to him. But don't think for one second that if we're not letting you live out your sin, that we're not affirming you. It's a lie from the devil. Faith comes in a variety of different forms. But that doesn't mean every form of faith, of faith is valid. It doesn't mean that. Yet there are a myriad of belief systems out there. So how do we know which one is better than the other? And why do we think Christianity is the way? That's a good question, and it's one that you need to answer if your faith is going to be solid. So there are two things that we can point to in order to explain this, but because we're in the TikTok Taught Me series, rather than me tell you, how about we watch a TikTok, huh? Let's try this one. How would we know that Christianity is like the true religion? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a really clear way of knowing which religion is right. So let's say you're in an airplane and you got three people that offer you a gift. One of them offers you the keys to a brand new Lamborghini. Another one offers you like a really expensive painting. And then the third person offers you a parachute. What would you pick? Lamborghini. Cool gift, right? What if I gave you a bit more information? I said, moments before the pilots announced the plane's going to crash, and so everyone has to jump out of the plane. Now with that information, which would you pick? The parachute. The only thing that can save you is not the keys or the painting, but the parachute. And so in the same way, we're all going to leave this life one day, and we're all going to face God on judgment. And every religion acknowledges that, but only one 
has a parachute, someone who can save you from the punishment you deserve. All the other religions in the world think that you've got to save yourself by you being good enough, praying enough, doing enough rituals. But good deeds don't fix bad deeds. But in Christianity, what have we got to save us from going to hell? Jesus. Yeah, who does what for us? Die for us. So he takes the hell we should get. If he takes the hell for us, where do we go when we die? Heaven. And they don't have that in any other religion. And so from that, the choice is obvious which one you want to pick. The only one that's going to save you from the punishment you deserve for all of your sins. Yeah, makes sense. Amen. Praise God. What's funny is we were watching an Omegle on a TikTok on a screen. It's hilarious. It's two different social media networks. And you're probably going to see that on Facebook later. Oh, my Lord, it's going to blow up. But in every other religion, every other religion, it's up to you to fix the problem. Uh, there's an author named David Platt, and he had this famous uh, moment. Um, he wrote about this. A lot of times you hear this. In, you probably heard this in Christianity. But he was basically um, in Indonesia at a Buddhist temple. He was doing a tour, you know, and all that. And he was standing there with a Buddhist monk and a Muslim sheik, and they were talking. And, and as they were talking, um, they asked David Platt what they thought about their views on God and what they, you know, he thought about their religion. He says, well, it seems to me that what you have is, the way you describe it is that we have this giant mountain and that humanity is at the bottom and that God is at the top and we're trying to get to the top. And while there are a variety of differences between our specific faith communities and all that kind of stuff, what we believe, that we're all basically trying to get up this mountain to God. And they said, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good. I mean, yeah, there's some subtle differences in our, in, but yeah, that's pretty much what we believe. And he says, okay, well, w- what, if, what if I told you that the God at the top wasn't going to just let humans struggle to find him, but rather he would come down the mountain to meet us and go up with us. And they said, wow, that'd be awesome. He says, let me introduce you to Jesus. Christianity is not the only religion where we messed it up. But Christianity is the only real, uh, religion where God fixes it. Every other religion requires you to make it right. And let's be honest, if we could have made it right, number one, we don't need God. And number two, we'd have made it right already. I mean, sin and evil would be done with. You know why? Because everybody had been like, hey, like, we don't think little kids should die. Like, let's fix that. We wouldn't need God. But, but the truth is, we can't. Where we can only fail, only God can succeed. Where we can only separate and create sin, God can restore. We can't do that on our own. And if you think you can... How come you haven't done it already? Why aren't you a completed perfect work yet? Why when a woman walks past it looks good, why do, you, why do you not lust for her anymore? Why do you not covet what other people have? If, if you could fix it, why haven't you fixed it? God is interested in your righteous being, not in your good doing. Doing cannot create righteousness. Only God is committed to fixing what we broke, and only God can do that righteous work inside of you. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just about taking on all of your sin. Jesus was fixing in that moment what you broke, what I broke, what we broke together. Yeah, Adam and Eve bit the apple, but we'd have been right there with them, eating the rest of the apples. We'd have ate everyone on the tree. And we have. Humanity has eaten every apple on any tree. It took one God, the true God, came to earth to restore us. 
Remember, it isn't good deeds that get you to heaven. Titus 3.5 says this. He saved us, but not because, his, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now that ought to make some of you feel better about your life. I'm not saying that once we get saved, we should just go and do what we want to do. Like, let's sin, let's, hey, let's party up. Let's, no, we should be wanting to get closer to Jesus. And let me just let you know, if, if you say you've met Jesus and you have a relationship with him, but your desire for sin hasn't changed, I would ask, did you really meet him? You know, when I first met Monique, I liked her and I wanted to be around her. She thought I was stalking her. I wasn't, but I just wanted to be where she was. So if I knew she was going to be at this specific spot, I would make sure I was at that specific spot. Why? Because I wanted to be in her presence. I wanted to be with her. I want to spend my life with her. And so what I did is I altered what I did so I could be with her. It's true that good works won't get you to heaven, that good works won't save you. But the Bible says this too, that faith without works is dead. That doesn't mean that if you don't have the good works, that you, know, that, that you shouldn't have good works. But it means that Jesus is the one that's, that authored your faith. But your good works should reveal the fact that you've met Jesus. So if you still have a proclivity for sin and you crave sin, either you haven't met Jesus or at the minimum you haven't given him that part of your life just yet. Jesus is the only way because he's the only God who loved you enough to make a way. But there's another reason why we can know that Christianity is the one true religion. Here's a second video talking about resurrection. How do we know that Christianity is the one true religion when there are so many godly, sincere people in other religions, so many world religions? Well, it comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. That is something that either happened or it did not happen. There's no in-between, there's no middle ground. And it would do you well to look at the evidence for the resurrection. For example, Jesus was buried in a known tomb, an accessible tomb, right outside of Jerusalem where he was crucified. And the apostles started preaching the resurrection in Jerusalem. And the religious leaders who killed him tried everything that they could to stop this new preaching, this claim of the apostles that Jesus was raised from the dead, except the one thing that would have worked. They, they beat them up, they put them in jail, but they didn't produce the body. And the reason they didn't produce the body is because they couldn't, the body wasn't there. A lot of people seem to think the apostles stole the body. That seems to be the most popular view, but that was impossible. Number one, the tomb, if you know the story, was heavily guarded. Number two, here you have 12 men, for example, who got together and made up a story and then willingly went out and suffered for it and willingly went out and suffered for a lie, something that they knew was a lie. People will suffer and die for a lie if they believe it. But you don't have that luxury with the apostles. They didn't say we feel in our heart that he was raised from the dead or we believe he was raised from the dead. They said we saw him. We saw him and we spent time with him and we know he's raised from the dead. So yes, the resurrection is something that you need to look into because that is the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion. At least it's the main thing. And if it's true, then you can believe what Jesus said about everything else, including his being the only way to heaven, the way, the truth, and the life. If it didn't happen, you don't have to worry about it. But have you looked at the evidence? Have you studied it? It would be worth your time to do that because Jesus is the real thing and we believe wholeheartedly that he came back from the dead and that there is evidence overwhelming that that is exactly what he did. Amen. You know, I could see, let's say Peter makes up this story that Jesus was raised from the dead. Let's see. They let's say they decided to make up this big lie or whatever. I can understand them dying for that lie because they would have been in charlatan. I mean, there's some personal equity in it. But what about the historians talking about how Peter was watching as his wife was being led to be martyred? 
and he yells out to her, don't forget the Lord. I'd be willing to die for something, but would you be willing to allow your family to die for something? That just adds to the evidence. In fact, there's a lady named Paula Fredrickson. She's a Jewish scholar. She's a professor uh, of Scripture Emerita at Boston University, and she's a resurrection denier. Listen to what she said. I know in their own terms what they saw was the raised Jesus, but that's what they say. And then all this historic evidence we have afterwards attests to their conviction that that's what they saw. I'm not saying that they really did see Jesus, uh, the raised Jesus. I wasn't there. I don't know what they saw. But I do know as an historian, they must have seen something. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? See, it wasn't enough for God to fix that thing that separated us. He wanted to bring us back to life again as well. Remember, you being lost is not you're just a little sheep wandering from the fold. You're dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your sin. The wages of sin is death, not lostness. It's death. And so he had to fix sin. Sin was not our biggest problem, though. Sin was the it just caused the separation. The separation was the issue. So God, through Jesus, satisfied sin on the cross and brought us back to him through the resurrection. A sacrifice. Jesus was good. A resurrected Jesus. That's God. So here's the truth. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin created separation from God. We are incapable of righting the wrong. And it did more than create separation. It rendered us spiritually dead, in need, not of good deeds to correct bad ones, but God's life to end our spiritual death. Because of God's great love for us, Jesus, God's only Son who existed with Him before creation ever happened, He came to earth in flesh, He was born in a manger, He lived the sinless life that we should have lived, He died the criminal's death that we should have died on the cross, and if we confess Him as Lord and believe in our heart that Christ raised Him from the dead, He promises that we're saved. We who were far from God can come close to God now through the person of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the only way. This is why Jesus is our message here at Freedom Church. It's our first core value. Jesus is the message. Life begins with Jesus. And if we're going to reach the potential that God placed in us, not only for our purpose, but for our original design, which is sons and daughters of the Most High, through a relationship with God, then it starts with Jesus and us being his follower. Now, you may have received that message, and you've made Jesus Lord of your life, let me ask you, is that the message that you're sending out? Is that the message that, that you're sending? See, we have this need portion of our life. We need Jesus to fix what we couldn't fix, okay? And, and lordship is all or nothing, remember? Christianity is not, well, I'll give you Sundays. I'll give you two hours on Sunday, but I'm going to have the rest of the week. No, that's not Christianity. It's all or nothing. That's the need part of your life. But there's a want portion of your life as well. You either desire him or you don't. It's good to be needed. But man, how does it feel to be wanted? So here's a question for you. Do you just need Jesus or do you want him too? What you do, your actions will reveal whether or not you need or want Jesus. Jesus is our message here at Freedom. He's our only message. He's the way to heaven. He's the only way to a relationship with God. Now, if Jesus is the only way, why are the other options? 2 Timothy 4, 1-4 says this, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, 
who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Boy, howdy, are we there or not? It, you know, it's true that for the entirety of human history, that we have all recognized that there's something broken inside of us. There's something innate built into us that knows something ain't right. Okay? And a lot of times that'll be fleshed out when people ask, well, why does God permit evil? Uh, you know, well, because he has to violate free will. Okay, well, if you want God to violate free will to fix evil, do you want him to start with you? And most people are like, well, no. Some guys on death row you can start with. Well, they sin just like you sin, just maybe a different sin. People don't want to deal with that, okay? But humans know there's something broken, and we need something to fix it. So it makes sense that humans would come up with some notion that all we have to do is do good deeds to fix the bad deeds. But that mindset compounds our own arrogance in thinking that we can fix anything. So the main reason for these other belief systems is mankind is trying to figure out how to fix whatever is broken inside of us. But there's another potential reason. And I think it's found in a way to look at our second core value, which is people are the priority. You know, at Freedom, we say this, that people are God's greatest treasure. And if God thinks that, we do too. People matter. And that means we value them. We love them. We serve them. We invest in them no matter what. People are God's treasure. You're God's treasure. Look around at each other. That's some good-looking treasures. Amen? And we should value people like God values people. But what does that really mean? Love them? Sure. Absolutely. What about honor them? 100%. Okay. Adjust their theology to make them feel better and justify their sin. Hold on a minute. Let's let TikTok show us another video, video about this. This new age spirituality that some people are labeling as progressive Christianity is trying to tell people that you can live how you want and still have a relationship with God. But if we really think about this, how could you have intimacy with anybody in a relationship if you're actively cheating on them and doing things that dishonor them? If I told everybody that I love my wife, but then I never listened to her, never paid attention to her, never did what she wanted, disregarded her feelings and emotions, and just went out every night to the bars and different places and did whatever I wanted to do, people would call me a liar. And yet the same exact mindset is at the foundation of this new movement. That as long as I say that I love God, I can go out and do whatever I want to do because God is just so loving. It really is the selfish ideology that disregards what God wants, what God thinks, and ultimately what God's standards are. This is a huge issue with our culture right now, y'all. Huge issue. Love doesn't mean letting people do whatever they want to do. The culture right now, though, says if you love me, you'll let me. If you'll love me, you'll let me. But that isn't what the Bible teaches at all. Look at Colossians 3, 5, and 6. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Look at the language. Put to death. This is execute it. Lay it on the altar. Our flesh hates this. It hates discipline. And people hate being told what to do. I mean, my goodness, let, let somebody that you think is beneath you try to tell you what to do, and you're like, Ooh, okay, Jesus, I'm going to need you right now. Like, we just, we hate being told what to do. But you can pick which one you want. Either suffer the pain of discipline or suffer the pain of regret. What's it going to be? Because you're going to get one of the two. But the Bible teaches discipline. 
And the Bible actually has the nerve to call it love. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, starting verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more um, be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This leads right up to my favorite passage of scripture in the entire Bible, which is Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. It's the two verses after this. And those verses say, so take a new grip with your tired hands, strengthen your weak knees, mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who come behind you will not be made lame, but will be made strong. So what is the Bible teaching us right now? That God loves you so much that he not only died to save you, but he also will discipline you when you're not doing what you need to be doing. And it's not just because God wants to be mean to you. He's not doing that at all. What he's doing is wanting you to get to a place where you're walking in holiness and you're equipped so that you can do things that move the kingdom. He knows that if he gives you some discipline and gets you to work out some trash that you got in your life, the result is that your hands are strong and your knees are strong and you're marked out a straight path and that people are going to come behind you and they're going to be healed because you haven't allowed sin and the muck of the world to destroy you and to harm your witness. Come on, man. Love is discipline and discipline is love. And if you think that loving God means that he's going to let you live your life and do whatever you want to be your true self, I got some I got some bad news for you, man. It's not the truth. Discipline that corrects your belief and actions is what God calls love. But we live in a culture where truth is relative. Let's let Sadie Robertson tell us about that. I think the hardest thing for our generation is actually knowing what truth is. Because everyone has their own truth, right? Your truth is different than my truth, and my truth can be different than your truth, and I'm not offended by your truth because it doesn't have to be my truth. (laughs) And it really is leading us down a really bad path. I want to read y'all what Urban Dictionary, which Urban Dictionary is pretty hilarious sometimes. It's basically a dictionary that anybody can go write the definition, and the most popular one gets to the top, and that's deemed the definition. So this is what Urban Dictionary says about my truth. This is a um, definition. A non-negotiable personal opinion. This is a convenient phrase for avoiding arguments because people can contradict your opinion, but they can't contradict your truth. This phrase is often used when seeking to justify a controversial personal stance or action because you're not allowed to argue with someone's truth. And that's a scary way to live. When we are so entitled to our opinion that we change it to our truth so that no one can tell me that it's wrong. And it's actually very confusing whenever we don't have a standard for truth. Because if nothing is true, then now we're like, well, what even is love? And what even is confidence? And what even is freedom? Because it can all be relative and it can all change and it doesn't even matter whatever it is because if I believe it, then it's just true. It's nuts. It's like so backwards. What's nuts is, is you can argue with the objective truth today, but you can't argue with the a subjective truth. So you can argue with the truth that, you know, this law exists, but you can't argue with my subjective truth of this is how I feel. It's insanity, y'all. So what is the truth? 
Well, the truth is, for us, it's the Word of God and what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves. It says that we're immoral and we're full of fleshly desires. It says we're prideful and we act out in rebellion and selfishness. And we're dead in our trespasses. We're broken in our relationship with God. We're depraved in our nature. And we're incapable of fixing any of this on our own. But the truth also says we can be restored through the work of Jesus Christ and His cross. That we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That we can become righteousness, the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus that we can be restored to sonship and daughterhood through the Son. God's Word is the objective truth, but our flesh doesn't like that truth. So what's happened throughout time, and especially in our culture today, is that truth has been watered down so that our flesh can feel better. That's why I believe that a lot of the problems that we're experiencing right now in our culture is because the pulpit has been so weak. Pastors have been refusing to preach on things that need to be preached about. We've coddled, we've been seeker sensitive, we've done all the things that make people feel good about themselves, but we've not given them the truth. And that's why I say that when you're weak in the pulpit, you're wrong in the pew. We've prioritized how we feel in our flesh over how we obey in our spirit. We have to be careful that we don't prioritize people over the truth of the word of God. Now, wait a minute, dude, you said your core value is we prioritize people. Absolutely, we do that. But we are not called to prioritize people's flesh and their desires. Christianity is not about feeding those things in you that contribute to your spiritual death, but rather doing what it takes to crucify the flesh so that your spirit can live through Christ. That's what we're after here. But, but this is what the Western church has done. We've, we've embraced feeling over fact, and we've embraced tradition over truth. We've become seeker-sensitive rather than spirit-directed. We've muted hard truths and godly discipline, and we've amplified love and grace. Oh, wait a minute. I thought love and grace were good things. They are good things. But when love and grace live in absence of truth and discipline, the result is a gospel that's focused on comfort, not conversion. That isn't the gospel at all. That's a comfortable gospel. That might even be the prosperity gospel, but that's not the actual gospel. The Word of God is not designed just to convert you to a religion. It's designed to convert you into a relationship with your Father. It's to create in you who you were supposed to be. Namely, a son or a daughter. A purposeful creation, not a prideful one. Because Christianity is concerned with your conversion, not your comfort. It means that God sometimes will allow things in your life that are not comfortable. Ask Paul about comfort. Beaten five times, 39 times on his back. Shipwrecked. Floated on the sea for a day and a half. Wrote most of the New Testament while he was either in chains or in jail. Had his head cut off for all his troubles. Talk to me about comfort. If you will embrace conversion and just let go of comfort, what you'll find is the life that God desired for you all along. But we have to make sure that we're not in a relationship with Jesus because we want Jesus to make us happy. I want Jesus to make me holy, not happy. Because I know that sometimes I can't get to holiness unless I'm willing to let go of happiness. The good news is that in Jesus, I never let go of joy. So here's my question. Are you more concerned with comfort or conversion? And this is the big question that I want to leave you with today. Now, if, if you want comfort more then you want conversion, there is a TikToker out there that will let you know about it. They'll champion your cause. 
that if you want to embrace conversion, then let me show you a TikTok video, the last one today. Let me show you a TikTok video that shows you what conversion looks like. Let's play that. Hey, church. I was pretty relaxed the whole week. I wasn't really, I wasn't phased. I was just like, I can't wait. Come today, the nerves kicked in. And then I remembered that somebody had said, the closer you get to God, the more the enemy fights. And the more he wants to get you away from God. And then Pastor Gus said that you don't have to talk but your testimony can help. So my testimony is that when I was 17, I attempted suicide. And then failed <laughs> thankfully and then I had a lot of people in the last 13 14 years who've been encouraging me recently I've had Sam and Vinny introduce me to a church but when Sam talked about it I heard the one person who'd always pushed for me, which was my sister. For over a decade, she kept telling me, go to church, pray, give yourself to Jesus, read your Bible. If you do all of this, you can be saved. And for a long time, I didn't. A long time I was like, nah, how can you? The world, you look out in the world, so many things it says about it. I'm like, how can you? But then I walked through those doors for the first time. And like my partner Tina said, we were home. And one thing that hit me today which is our current sermon series, is Equip. I wouldn't be here if God hadn't equipped the other people around me. I wouldn't be here if they didn't give themselves to God first. And throughout that whole time, he has used so many vessels to bring me to church. And so many times I said no. Until I finally said yes. And I am so happy I'm here. I'm so happy that my family's here. And after today, I hope to also be a vessel for God to use to bring others into the church. So thank you, church. Sorry, I've been crying for like 20 minutes. I. <laughs> Just trying to get it all out before I get on the stage, but it didn't work. I hope you guys all know 
that you also can be someone that God uses. That you also can be the help that God uses to bring salvation into other families out there. To bring salvation to a lot, especially a lot of us men. A lot of us men, our pride. Our pride stops us. And my pride almost stopped me from speaking. But no. From here on out, the Holy Spirit will lead me. The Holy Spirit will lead my family. And the Holy Spirit will be what brings most of us back together. Brings the world back into the fold. So that we can all start following in the name of Jesus Christ again. So thank you, church. I'm going to go receive this blessing. Come on, man. Yo, that's what it's about right there. You know, I, I hate that, that church these days has to have buildings and budgets and all that mess. Because at the end of the day, it's just about people seeing who Jesus is and having their lives changed forever. It's about people converting into a relationship with him, not just getting comfortable. You know, TikTok's been teaching me a lot of stuff, man. It's been a crazy, what, two years since TikTok's been around? I've learned a lot of crazy stuff. And it's easy to learn a lot of the bad stuff that's going on out there. You can look at what's going on and you be terrified by all the craziness that's in the world right now. But I've also learned that there's a worldwide army of spirit-led, Bible-believing sons and daughters of the Most High. And God has equipped them. And they're speaking life into people and moving the kingdom forward. It's exciting. So here's my invitation today. Let's, let's use what we've seen and learned on TikTok today. And let's respond and allow TikTok to teach you something today. Maybe one of these things, that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus made a way for you to be reconciled to God the Father. That Jesus says, if you simply confess Him as Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, that you'll be saved. Especially this last one, church. Jesus says, forget about comfort and just come follow me. If you take a moment, bow your head. The only reason I ask you to bow your head is just so you can have a moment where you're focused on Jesus and not, around, uh, not about the people around you. Maybe in this moment you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. Look, you don't need an altar. You don't need some big hubbub. All you need is a simple prayer from your heart. Jesus, I believe in you. I know I'm a sinner. You died on the cross for my sin. I believe you were raised again. And I now confess you as Lord. You say that prayer. If you mean it, God means it. You're saved. Your life has changed. But here's what I find most of us are dealing with, is that we've made Jesus Lord of our lives, but we've gotten a little bit too comfortable with comfortable. And we need to remember that Jesus is trying to change who we are into who he wants us to be. So here's what I ask. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now in this moment that you would show your people right now what's going on in their own hearts, things, God, that's keeping us separated from you. God, that you give us the courage in this moment to address those things that need conversion in us. Holy Spirit, we're asking you to do the work right now. We praise you. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for everything you've done for us. 
And God, I thank you that you can use something as silly as TikTok to help us get closer to you. Jesus, we love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and his people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.